Revelation 22, look at verse number 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And look at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. to Give every man according as his work shall be. Then verse 20. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. So those four words, behold, I come quickly. We'll just touch on those a little bit. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next little while as we look into the scriptures that conclude the book of Revelation, we pray that you speak to all of our heart. We are so grateful to have had this time of fellowship around the food. Now we get to fellowship around the spiritual food. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. We, we all know that the book of Revelation is a fascinating book, a captivating book. It's one of those books that's filled with a lot of symbolism, but Nevertheless, we know that it was always Christ's intention that the book be read and understood. So although we think that it is perplexing in many places, you still are able to pick up on some basic principles that are noted here in this book. And if you turn to chapter 1, we'll just bring out a few of these. This is where John is on the island of Patmos, and you can see in verse 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is a book that's about the Son of God. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about the false prophet. It's not primarily about the mark of the beast. All of those are mentioned here and there. It's not even about Babylon towards the end. The first sentence of Chapter 1 there in that verse says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this, is going, this book reveals to people Jesus' heavenly ministry. Now we know all about what he did when he was on planet earth, how he came and he was born of the Virgin Mary, how he lived without sin, how he was crucified for us, how he was buried, then raised from the dead, and then how he ascended. Now if it wasn't for Hebrews... We wouldn't even really know about his ministry of intercession and things like that. But it's the book of Revelation that really gives us insight into what his present and future ministry is about. Because we learn from the seven churches, he's paying attention to how the Christians are living. But we also learn from chapter 6, moving forward, that everything connected with the seals with the trumpets and with the bowls of wrath are not under the control of the devil, but they're all under the control of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is exercising dominion and authority because people have a tendency to believe that the devil is going to run everything when the church is called away, absolutely not. When the church is called away, that just means the scene changes, but the Lord who wrote the script is still in charge of the whole drama. 
And there won't be anything the devil can do about it. So again, in Revelation 1, verse 1, you'll notice the second clause there, which God gave unto him. So then this revelation, this book should be viewed as a gift. This is something God gave. Now, what are are our expectations with the giving and receiving of any gift? The giver expects the receiver to value the gift to utilize the gift, and certainly to appreciate the gift. And that's in any culture on planet Earth. That's between any relationship with a mom and a child. If someone is giving another person a gift, those three things, they are expecting the recipient to to manifest, to show that they value it, that they're going to actually utilize it, and then at the same time, they're going to appreciate it, show gratitude because they've received it. So if this is a gift, then notice it says in the next clause, then to show to his servants. So the point of the book of Revelation was never to conceal what Jesus was going to do, but to reveal what Jesus is going to do. And this is why he says he shows them unto his servants. Now, there are things that God reveals to his servants that he does not reveal to people who do not serve him. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, but when it comes to the last days or the time of the end, all of us who take the time to read the scripture, we have inside information. And people who do not know God, they don't have a clue what's coming ahead. But we can read tomorrow's newspaper today. And all we have to do is look into Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke chapter 21. We could read the, the, the letters and the epistles of all the apostles. I think years ago I did a, a series out here on the last days according to Paul. Then the last days according to Peter. And last days according to Jude. But here's the point. We know what is coming because it's been outlined in the book But if you listen to people on television and people on radio and some preachers that aren't interested in the last days because they think the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled or that it's not true, they are lost and have no idea what's going to what's going to happen. And if we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know how to conduct ourselves right now. Now, he sent an angel accordingly And this angel was to let John know these things are true and they would shortly come to pass. Now, God's calendar obviously is different from ours. And the scripture says the day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Now, if you use that measurement, then since Christ's time, it's only been two days. Now, that's that's interesting, you know, if you if you think about that. So the book of Revelation is a gift. It's given to reveal. And the one thing that John is learning throughout all 22 of these chapters, all of these judgments, all of these plagues that are taking place, these are all preparatory for when the Lord returns. And this is why when we come to the end, the Lord says, behold, I come quickly. Now, what, what is the difference then between the first resurrection and the second resurrection? 
because Jesus said in the book of Revelation, blessed is he who has his part in the first resurrection. Because the second resurrection is called the second death. We, we won't have any parts of that being born of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. First resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the mystery of the resurrection. In another place, he speaks of the catching away or the rapture of believers. So some people say, well, okay, nowhere in the Bible do we ever encounter the word rapture. And I always tell people, it depends on what translation you're reading. Because if you're reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, in a Latin New Testament, then where it says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, then right there in Latin you have the word rapturus, which means seized or snatched or caught away. So it's in the Bible, just has to do with what translation you're reading. Once Jesus comes for his church, and once believers disappear, it's at this point that the Son is going to walk over to the throne where our Father is going to be holding that many-sealed book in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, he's going to start opening those seals. And that's when the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they are oftentimes called, are going to begin to gallop through the earth. Jesus is revealing this to John because he wants John to communicate all of this to those churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. So from the church at Ephesus all the way to the church at Laodicea, the Lord is trying to communicate a very, very simple message. Judgment is coming and I'm coming also. But my coming will be preceded by all of these judgments. Now, people wonder sometimes why does God take the time to go through all of this and there's so much trouble down here where you've got vegetation that's burning up and you have people that are being martyred. And, you know, Revelation 7, you've got 144,000 Jewish men who've never known a woman or been married, how they'll be sealed with a seal so that they'll do evangelism, and then the Bible speaks of the two witnesses who will have power to shut the heavens. They'll be able to call down fire, and they'll be fighting against the Antichrist and the false prophet. People say, why does God have all of this going on in the Middle East? It is because the tribulation period is a seven-year period designed to deal with the nation of Israel. We know from Daniel chapter 9, he had a vision called Daniel's 70 weeks. And we can calculate the time frame from what he saw. He talked about the moment that the command would go forth, that Jerusalem's wall would be rebuilt. That started in Nehemiah's day. All the way up to the time when the Messiah would be cut off. That's Jesus. So 69 weeks of the 70 weeks were fulfilled. But there's one week that remains to be fulfilled, and that will take place once the, this book 
is opened and these seals are opened. So according to scripture then, Jesus gives insight as to the great battle that's going to take place in Armageddon. The nations that are going to ally themselves and gather with the Antichrist to try to resist the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there are four unclean spirits that will go forth throughout the earth and rally these nations. Now, a lot of people are under the impression that some of these nations will be in China. Some will be from other locations. I have no idea where this, this many-membered army is going to come from. But I can tell you this. It's going to be comprised of people that come from a lot of different nations in this final, final battle. If, if you remember when the Russians invaded Afghanistan and the Taliban and then were resisting the Russians, one of the things that happened was that people from all over the earth who were believers in Islam went to Afghanistan to fight with the Taliban to resist the Russians. And I can assure you, in the last days, when that army is put together and those demon spirits are leading people to gather all of these folks, there'll be people who will be coming from America, there'll be folks coming from Europe, There'll be people from South America and from Africa who will be making their way to the Far East so that they can join that particular army. And of course, Revelation tells us that in that valley of Armageddon leading up to it, there's going to be a big, huge valley blown wide open. And that army is going to march through that valley, making its way to the promised land. And that's when they're going to have that final battle. And the scripture is fairly clear. It's not going to be much of a battle. Jesus is going to be returning on a white horse with a whole lot of people. He's going to use his words, speak, and people are just going to die. It's going to be over with. And the scripture says bodies will be laying all over the place. The fowls of the, of the air will be coming by devouring flesh. And it'll pretty much be over with. But here's what you need to know. When Jesus says to John here in 22, verse number 7, Behold, I'm coming quickly. The reason he uses that word behold, because for us in English, that's an attention-grabbing word. And the point of that is to signal the importance of this. Importance of it. If, if someone's trying to get your attention, and they're trying to flag you down, and they say, hold up, look! Look is just another way of saying, behold, I have something I want to communicate, something I want to say. So the return of the Lord is important. It's a subject that should not be taken lightly. We should never cast it aside. We don't want to ever forget about it because the king is coming. But then notice he uses that little letter there, I, because Jesus is the central figure of all prophecy. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, the statement was made concerning the Lord, and it said, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. One of the earliest prophecies there in the book of Genesis. From Genesis to Revelation, everything is about fulfilling in type 
the ministry of Christ, showing the character of Christ, manifesting the power of Christ. He's the central character of this book. You can find types and shadows of Jesus in the life of Noah. You certainly can find it in Adam. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam. And the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. Folks weren't listening to the first Noah, so they're not listening to the Noah of the last days. Christ trying to speak to people. So all throughout scripture, Jesus is the central figure. But then the verb here, behold, I come quickly. The coming of the Lord is a very important part of the prophecy. Because for thousands of years, people waited on the Messiah to come into the world. They wanted to see the Roman yoke broke from off of the neck of the Israeli people. And when Jesus came, the people didn't even recognize him or even accept him as the Messiah entirely. When Jesus was born, you'll remember that Herod called in his teachers and said, where is this king supposed to be born? They looked at their little prophecy charts and they said, well, Bethlehem. And Herod said, we'll send some folks all throughout the region and let's find this little boy that's been born. And once you find out where he is, come bring me word, because I like to come bow down and worship him also. Well, you know that people had enough sense to know that that wasn't the case. But if, if the mass of people missed his first coming, do you think people are going to be prepared for his second? Most people are not. They're not even thinking about it. It's of no concern to them. And even when they bring it up, they talk about it as though, well, everybody's been waiting on Jesus to come back for a long time. And he hasn't come because, after all, that stuff isn't true. Well, look, back in Isaiah's day, he was prophesying about a a, a baby that would be born of a virgin. And people believed that prophecy. People held to that prophecy. And 600 years before Jesus, no, no baby had been born of a virgin. And one generation after another generation had to live and had to die with belief in someone who had not yet been born into this earth. And I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of people today shaking their heads and I just don't know if we can believe in the the, the, uh, legends and myths of the Bible. But I give you my word. He's coming back. It doesn't matter what anybody says. He is coming back. Back And when he comes back, he's not going to be the meek and lowly lamb that everybody reads about in the Gospels. Coming back as a warrior. He's going to establish his reign on this earth for a thousand years, as the scripture says. So behold, I come. And then you can see he's going to come quickly. Now, that's that's pretty, pretty fast. I, I know that when we. Think about somebody moving pretty fast. Our timetable is a lot different from God. You know, we, we, we use the phrase out of the Corinthians. It talks about, you know, the twinkling of an eye. And then we think of the, the, the time it takes an eyeball to shift and go in a different direction. And, you know, how much movement that is just for that to occur. How rapid that is. We even think of rapid eye motion. You know, when you're asleep at night and you're dreaming, even while you're dreaming, there's still all kinds of movement. But think about it this way. Think of how 
fast a ray or beam of light, how long it takes a ray of light to bounce off of your retina. See? And when you talk about something quick, something rapid, when the scripture says that Jesus is coming quickly, I promise you, when he returns, he's going to snatch away the church and, and the world will be looking, trying to figure out what in the world didn't happen. have no idea what's going on. Yeah, Christians will be gone because that's how it was when Jesus was raised from the dead. They ran around trying to figure out what happened and they never could come to a reasonable conclusion. So verse 7 of Revelation 22 again Blessed is he that keeps the sayings. Now, if Jesus is telling John this in conclusion, that means that what he said is understandable. And if it's understandable, you can keep it. And whatever it is that you read in this book that you are able to comprehend, you are able to obey. And in chapter one, it says, blessed is he that hears and reads and keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is the only book that I'm aware of that tells you explicitly you're blessed just by reading it. So just by taking the time to read it, just open it up, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, read right out, Revelation uh, 22, verse 21, and just taking the time to read it, the Bible says a blessing comes upon you for reading it. Now, there are people who are afraid of this book, and I don't see any reason to be afraid of the book of Revelation at all, because it's not a book that's designed to produce fear in Christians. It's designed to produce faith in Christ so that we would be edified and strengthened in our faith. Now, if I'm an unbeliever and I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there's trouble ahead. But if I'm a Christian and I'm reading this, I'm glad I'm on the winning side. Yeah, I'm praising the Lord that I'm on the on the winning side. So verse 12, then he says again, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. So the Lord is paying attention to lifestyles, behavior, conduct. And if he's coming with a reward, that is a promise to you and to me that all of our labor on his behalf is not in vain. That one day you're actually going to hear the Lord say to you and to me, thank you. And that's what the reward's going to all be about. The scripture says the one that endures when he's tried, if he perseveres, he'll receive a crown of life. The Bible talks about the elders. They serve well. They'll receive an elder's crown. Paul talks about henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Over and over again, we learn that the Lord has preserved rewards for us. He even tells us there's a certain way we ought to live and act. And, and if we do so accordingly, we lay up treasures in heaven. So if, if, we, if we do what he's told us to do, then we can hopefully look for his coming with joy because we know he's bringing a reward with him. And I, I want that reward just like you should want that reward. He's got something to give to you and to me. And then also here in verse, verse uh, 20, again, he said, he which testifieth these things. Now, let me just back up to verse 18 and show you something here. For I testify to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. We're still talking about the book of Revelation. 
If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Which book? The book of Revelation. See, that's what he's talking about. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, which prophecy? Of Revelation. God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. How important is the book of Revelation? Very important. This is why it's the capstone here at the end of the canon of Scripture. And it's so important that when we read this, we don't look at this and do like some scholars and some laypersons and some preachers who say things like this. Well, I know that's in the Bible, but I just don't think that's for today. What are they doing? Diminishing the value of the book, deleting portions of the book, and they are taking away from what's written in the book. And when somebody comes along and says, look, I have a better alternative to the end of times than what you read in the book of Revelation. After all, God is a God of love and he's still giving insight and he's talking to us about this. He's talking to us about that. And when you hear people doing that, folks, I'm telling you, they're adding. They're adding. Stay with the book. Stay with the book. And as they're trying to add to what they think the scripture says, you should avoid them like you would avoid someone with the plague. Yeah. And he which testify these things says, surely I come quickly. So since I'm coming quickly, it's just better to obey what Jesus has said rather than what everyone else is saying. And John's response and our response should be in the morning. In the afternoon, in the evening, at night, even so, come Lord Jesus. That should be our response. Lord, come, please. We're not asking him to to hold back. You say, well, pastor, don't you know some of us have family members that were unbelievers? I'm sure John had some too. Yeah, I'm sure he had some too. And I'm sure even though he was on the island of Patmos and he was uh, separated from his loved ones by that vast body of water, he probably prayed a lot of prayers for, for family members that didn't know anything about God. But in his situation, isolated, alone, all by himself, yet Jesus appearing to him and he is just, I mean, fascinated and captivated by the presence of the Lord on that island. When the Lord reveals all of this in four visions, John comes to the end of this, and the Lord said, I'm coming quickly, John. You know John in all of that ecstasy said, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready to see you now. And that's how we should be. So don't ever, don't ever discourage anybody who's saying, I want to see the Lord. And don't ever take it as a sign of unbelief because you have a loved one who's older or someone passed through something and they say, I'm ready to see Jesus' face. Yeah. There have been a whole lot of people on planet Earth that have wondered why they stayed here so long. They, they, they long to get out of here. And once they get a glimpse of the other side, it's hard to want to stay here once you've seen it. Yeah. Even so, come Lord Jesus. How is John saying he wanted him to come? Come quickly. Even so. The word so, meaning thus, in this manner, in this way, even so, Lord, come, come quickly. Don't leave me here on this island for a long time. Don't leave me here stranded, feeling abandoned. I want you to come. 
And, and I'm telling you right now, it'd be nice as far as I'm concerned if he came right now at the end of this message. Yeah, he, he can come. Yes, you, then nobody had to worry about these dishes. See? Yeah, he, he, he can come right now. We'd all be happy and we'd be praising the Lord. One day, folks, I give you my word, we're going to see him face to face. We are. And with all the struggles that people have, with all the supernatural things that God does, there's coming a point in time where there won't be any need for divine intervention at all. There's coming a time. Nobody will never need to pray for healing. Nobody will have to have to pray for, for God to do this or do that. We'll be right there where he is. We won't be praying for rain. We won't be saying we need more sunshine. We'll be in a place where the Bible says the Lord himself provides the light. And there's no need for a sun or moon or stars because there's no nighttime in a place like that. Amen. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. I do pray when that trumpet sounds that you folks are going upwards. Yeah, I do pray when that trumpet sounds that I'm going upwards. As Paul said, finally, let's not preach the gospel to others and then ourselves become castaways. That means people that don't even make it. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for placing in the book those little words. You're coming quickly. And Father, the more we meditate on them, the the more excited we get because we realize eventually we're going to spend all of eternity with you. Because 70 or 80 years down here on planet Earth is nothing in comparison with a calendar that says a day with you is as a thousand years. Father, Thank you for keeping us healthy. Thank you for the covenant you've made with us. Thank you for supplying all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Continue to lead us and guide us and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise